Thank you for listening to the Valley Point Church Podcast. We are currently in the series, The Road No One Can Travel Except Jesus. We hope it's a blessing to you. I want to thank on behalf of Valley Point Church, all of those who attended that trip, thank you for representing us and for sacrificing your time and your energy and your resources to go to the Dominican Republic and and give your life away for a week to serve others. So thank you very much. And my name is Ben, and I'm one of the pastors here at Valley Point, and would like to welcome you to week two of the road that no one could travel except for Jesus. And we kicked off this series last week, and Pastor Eric kind of walked us through the weeks leading up to where we find ourselves today, Palm Sunday. And we saw some interesting things happening because Jesus and his disciples, again in the weeks leading up, were spending their time traveling, and Jesus was teaching and healing others, which isn't that unusual. But Jesus took probably an added amount of effort to pull his disciples aside and to let them know about some things that they were going to need to do without him because Jesus realized that his time on earth was coming to an end. And he also knew that his disciples weren't ready for it and he was trying to prepare them, but they just weren't getting it. And so he spent these final weeks modeling the behavior that he wanted the disciples to carry on after him. And the two things we found that he modeled was compassion and putting others first. And those were the things he said, you must do these things when I'm not here because these are the two things that are going to represent me the very best that you can. And they continued to do this for weeks and until it was time for all of them to return to the city of Jerusalem. And a little bit later today, we're going to find out why it was that they were traveling back to Jerusalem. But before we jump into the content today, can we have a little bit of fun? All right, because it is springtime. After all, it's fully engaged. Hopefully, we'll have some warmer weather this week. It looks like we will, but I love springtime. It's one of my favorite times of the season. There's a few things that I especially love about it. Well, just to give you a disclaimer, this list that I'm about to reveal, it's not very spiritual. All right, so don't judge me. We'll get to some spiritual things, and it's going to be okay. But these are just some things I really like about springtime. For example, the first thing would have to be jelly beans, right? Everybody loves jelly beans, and not the thousand different flavors and colors. The classic primary color jelly beans. Give me a bag of those. And that is one of my favorite things about Easter. Anybody with me? All right, you can react to these. You can applaud if you agree. You can boo. You can even boo me if you think, not the rest of the morning, just during this portion. All right, don't boo me after this. It'll make me feel bad. So the next thing, what's great about springtime? What's getting to buy new clothes, right? We're all, well, not all of us, but a lot of us are going to go out and we're going to buy a new outfit or a new set of clothes for Easter Sunday. It's like one of the two times of years I go out and actually buy myself clothes, and I look forward to that each year. So one of the things I like about springtime, and of course, the best thing about springtime is, everybody, 
Baseball. Baseball, that is correct. And if that wasn't your answer, it should have been your answer because baseball is the absolute best thing about the springtime. And it's not just about the game of baseball, right? It's going to the stadium and the sights and the smells and the fresh cut grass and the sound of the bat. It just all comes together to this, this magical springtime experience. That's springtime. But what's a top three list without a bottom worst list, right? So here are the worst things about springtime. The first thing has to be the smell of coloring Easter eggs. For me, this is awful. And I don't know if it's the combination of the boiled eggs and the vinegar, but this odor just seems to accumulate this time of year in our house. And if you have small kids or grandkids and you've done this, you know what I'm talking about. And the liquid doesn't contain itself to the cup, does it? It's all over your hands, and it's all over your kids, and it smells for weeks. And whose eggs look like this anyways? I mean, our eggs usually turn out looking more like something like this. And then when the kids aren't looking, you try to trash them as fast as you can, right? Just get them out of the house, get them in the dumpster, get them out of here. Coloring, it's, it's one of those things I'm a little crabby about, but it could go away. And I, I, I wouldn't care less. All right, that's the first thing. The second thing has to be the Easter grass, right? This is the little plasticky stuff that you put in the bottom of the Easter baskets. Any present you get this year is going to have some of this, and it's going to get sucked up in your vacuum cleaner, and the wheel's not going to turn properly. Again, something else that could go away, and everyone would benefit from it. All right, I, I told you I'm a little crabby about these things. And then lastly, I know this is going to be controversial. I know it's going to make a lot of people sad, but the worst thing about springtime has to be the peeps. Just look at them. Look at those little beady eyes just looking at you. And it says that they're marshmallow. I don't buy it. I mean, give me a marshmallow if I'm going to eat a marshmallow, right? But I apologize to all of you peepers out there because it's one of those things you kind of love or hate, but this is the house of God, right? So peepers and non-peepers alike, we could come together and worship and have a good time together. But now that all that's out of the way, can we get to a little bit of serious content today? But before we do that, would you spend some time in prayer with me? And we'll pray and we'll ask God to bless our conversation and our time together. Let's pray. God, we want to thank you for a fresh season in our weather for a new life that's springing up and for a, a freshness of this season that's ahead of us. Help us to appreciate that and to thank you for that. And in this time of year, we now turn our, our focus and total attention to your son, Jesus, and for everything he walked through for us. And we ask for your guidance and your blessing on our conversations today. And these things we pray in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the road that Jesus traveled has now brought us to Palm Sunday. And in our historic timeline, we are now only days away from Jesus' final moments here on earth. And to help us sort of unpack this material today, to help us think through this, this portion and these events, we're going to answer two primary questions. The first question is going to be very practical. Why do we call this Palm Sunday? 
What's the deal with that? Maybe you heard about it when you were a kid, and maybe you forgot about it, or maybe you've never heard and you just always called it that. So why do we call this Palm Sunday? We're going to take a look at Scripture, and we're going to answer that question. And then we're going to answer a sort of deeper question. Why? Why this road? And why on this day in history did all of this occur? And then blanketing over top of all of that, our big idea for today is this, is that the road that Jesus traveled was a road that he was willing to take. And his willingness is going to show us a few things today. And ultimately, my hope is that it confirms and strengthens our faith in Jesus. And I hope that through our content today that not only is your faith in Jesus strengthened, but his character is confirmed for you. And I also hope that his love for you is confirmed. And ultimately that his deity is confirmed, that Jesus was God. And all of this is going to flow out of this big idea that Jesus was willing to take this road that he traveled, because we're going to talk about an actual road, a literal road that Jesus was traveling in our story today. So let's jump into our first question. Why do we call this Palm Sunday? And to do this, we're going to look to Scripture. And as Pastor Eric mentioned last week, this particular story, these events are accounted for in all four of the New Testament Gospels. So the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they all give an account of Jesus' life. And when something's mentioned in all four of those, it's a really big deal. It doesn't happen very often, and so it begs our attention. So we're going to dig in and find what's so significant about these particular events that they would need to be mentioned in four different Gospels. And so since they are in all four, what I've done is I've sort of tried to take a little bit from each, and accumulate the, the, the best flow of the story that we can gather from Scripture. So I hope a lot of this is interesting to you. And I did a, I've done a lot of research through these last couple of weeks, just looking into what's happening and what's the background, what's the setting, what's the circumstances. And we're going to cover some of that today, too. So I hope that's very interesting as well. But we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 21. And it says... As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, and again, we'll get to why a little bit later, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. And so I have a little bit of a visual for you today. This is an artist rendering or more or less a cartoon drawing of what the Mount of Olives would have appeared as at this time. So at the top of that hill, that's the Mount of Olives, and just beyond where you would be able to see would be the city of Bethphage, where Jesus and his disciples were. This wall here, that would be the city of Jerusalem, and they'd be coming in from the east side, so we're kind of at a weird perspective. So I wanted to give you an aerial map. That's our next graphic here. So the Mount of Olives would be over here on the east side of Jerusalem, and that would be the road that they would be coming in from, right on the, the back side where the temple would have been in Jerusalem. So that's the context for where they are. So they're up there, they're hanging out, and Jesus sends two of them ahead. He says, go into the village over there, and as soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. 
If anyone asks you what you are doing, just say the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. The story is already interesting, and you may not have picked up on this, but why a donkey? Why, why for, this, this would have been at most a mile walk. So why would Jesus need an animal to help carry him? And there's no other mention of Jesus ever riding on an animal to this point. So he's already functioning outside of his, his normal actions. Well, Matthew actually tells us why. He goes on to say that this actually fulfills an Old Testament prophecy. So this prophecy was written 500 years before the birth of Jesus. And it's found in Zechariah. Zechariah 9, 9. And he writes, Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey. That word humble is important for us because this describes the character of Jesus. Because the donkey wasn't a prestigious animal. It still isn't. And so Jesus chose to humble himself. And when a king would enter into his city, or after he had just conquered, or he's claiming victory, he would ride a horse. And he would display his power and his ability to conquer. It would be very intimidating for those who might rise against him. But Jesus chose the donkey. The other thing that it represents is peace. And so at this time, if you saw a king riding into your city with an army on the horse, it's time to get the weapons ready because we're going to have a big fight here. But if you saw him from a distance coming on a donkey, it would represent peace. And so there's no need to worry. Everything's okay. So here we see Jesus coming humbly and in peace. Mark 11 goes on. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street, tied outside of the front door. And as they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing untying that colt? How would Jesus have known that they were going to be given a hard time about grabbing this donkey and its colt? This just speaks to the foreknowledge and his complete control over the situations that were occurring. So they said what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it, just as Jesus had said. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, sort of a makeshift saddle, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was at the center of the procession. The news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors, and just notice that word Passover. We're going to come back to that, but it's significant for us. Well, they took palm branches. And so this is where we begin to develop the reasoning behind Palm Sunday. So they took these palm branches and went down the road to meet him. So these, this was a very cultural thing. So the palm branches was a sign of victory. And so all of these people had heard about Jesus. Some of them had seen his miracles. And so word is spreading and everyone is excited because Jesus, the Messiah, is finally coming to claim his territory. And so they grab their palm branches and they cut them off trees and they lay them in the road. And 
culture would have told us that, that they would have been fanning them as he came by in this big celebration of victory. Their king is finally here. And when he, Jesus, reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, we kind of saw where that was, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles that they had seen. Blessings to the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace. There's our peace word. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. The crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth in Galilee. So here we find Jesus finally reaching his destination. He's at the gates of Jerusalem. So it's about to get real good, right? Things are about to happen. So I'm really excited to hear about what's about to come. So in Mark, he says, So Jesus came into Jerusalem and went into the temple. And after looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was kind of late in the afternoon. And he was tired. And he returned to Bethany where he and his 12 disciples were staying for the night. What happened? <laughs> I mean, we had this, this massive procession and singing and shouting and all of this commotion. And then we get to the temple and there's no mention of anything happening. He just looks around and goes home. Probably due to the sheer volume of the amount of people who would have been in Jerusalem at this time, the procession would have eventually just sort of been absorbed by the crowd. Probably because Jesus wasn't taking action. He wasn't yelling and screaming and wasn't even teaching at this time. He wasn't laying out his political agenda like they thought he was going to. He wasn't overthrowing the Jewish religious leaders at that time, which everyone thought he was going to do. He wasn't establishing his kingdom like everyone thought he was going to do. And so they all were disappointed and would have gone back to whatever it was that they were doing thinking this isn't who we thought he was. Even his own disciples, the 12 men who were the closest to him, had no idea what was happening. Scripture tells us that later, as they reflected on this day, oh yeah, they kind of got it. But in the moment, they had no clue what was happening. So to answer our question, why do we call this Palm Sunday? Well, we kind of saw. So Jesus presents himself as the Messiah, fulfilling the prophecy, which excites everybody. And they come running out and they claim victory with the symbolism of the palm branches. So we get our term, Palm Sunday. This was Jesus' triumphal entry as king. His final time that he would be in the city of Jerusalem. So what's our takeaway from question number one? It's don't be disappointed with who you want Jesus to be. But trust him for who he is. Because we all have ideas for who we want Jesus to be, right? We all have ideas of what we want him to do for us. And we all have ideas of what we think he should be doing. 
We all have ideas of, of the way we think he should be responding to the world today. And we could become very disappointed because he's not reaching our expectations. Well, later on that week, we find Jesus back in Jerusalem teaching in the temple. And in John chapter 12, the crowd is asking him questions in relations to the things that he was saying. So the crowd responded, we understood from scripture that the Messiah would live forever. So this is what they're thinking. So how can you say that the Son of Man will die? And the Son of Man, it's a, it's a very interesting term because it was something that Jesus alone referred to himself as. No one else used this term except for Jesus describing himself. And it was meant to convey the idea that he was the Messiah. So in the Jewish culture, Son of Man, Messiah was the same thing, which meant Jesus was God. So they're saying, how can you say that this Messiah will die? Just who is this Son of Man anyways? And Jesus replied, my light will shine for you a little longer. Put your trust in the light while you still can, while there's still time. And then you will become children of the light. The crowd was so focused on what they wanted Jesus to be. They desperately wanted him to be this Messiah. They desperately wanted him to begin his reign right then. But they failed to trust in who he actually was. So who was Jesus? For that, we're going to turn to our second question for today. Why this road? Why this day in history? Why was this such a meaningful time for all of this to go down? So if you recall, in John chapter 12, said the news that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem spread quickly. And there was a large crowd of Passover visitors. So Passover would have been the largest of the three pilgrimage festivals that the Jewish culture would have celebrated at this time. It's still celebrated today. But this was the largest. And and Jews from all over the world would travel to Jerusalem so that they could worship together in the holy city. And ceremonially, on Passover, the high priest in Jerusalem would find an unblemished, spotless, and perfect lamb. And he would sacrifice that lamb, symbolizing their gratitude to God for his deliverance of the nation of Israel throughout history, which initiated when Moses led the nation of Israel out of slavery, out of Egyptian slavery, and through the wilderness, and ultimately Joshua taking them into the promised land. And so they were showing their gratitude for God's continual blessing and guidance and deliverance on their nation. And Jesus, fully aware of all of this, grew up as a Jewish boy, probably made this pilgrimage yearly to participate in the Passover festivals. Jesus chose this week to present himself as the sinless, spotless, perfect lamb sacrifice That would be the ultimate and final sacrifice needed for the forgiveness of all sins. And he initiates all of this on Palm 
Sunday, a week before Passover. When Passover would occur, the priests would sacrifice the lamb. Jesus would be sacrificing his own life on our behalf. Jesus knowingly and he willingly walked this road. In John chapter 12, says Jesus replied again, teaching in the temple, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. He knew what was coming. This is the very reason why I came. So what's our takeaway to the second question we have now asked ourselves? Well, the road that Jesus traveled was a road that he was willing to take. He was extremely careful. He, he paid close attention to everything that he was doing. And it proved his foreknowledge and his control over the situations that were about to occur. And Jesus set in motion the string of events that would lead to his arrest and his crucifixion. Jesus initiated those things. He wasn't a victim of a conspiracy. God the Father didn't force him down and make him die on the cross. No, Jesus knowingly and willingly laid down his life for us. There's no greater love. Jesus claims his deity. He fulfills the last major prophecy initiating that he was the Messiah, that he was God and he was the Lamb's sacrifice for us. This wasn't a secret prophecy. All of the Jewish leaders, religious leaders, would have known this prophecy. They would have taught it. But still, could not wrap their mind around this actually being that Messiah. So let's stop being disappointed with who we want Jesus to be. Let's stop being disappointed with what we think he should be doing for us and in the world. And let's start trusting in who he actually is. The Son of Man. God in the flesh coming down and paying the ultimate sacrifice for sin. Because he loves you. Because he loves me. And let's take some time this week and show our gratitude and our thankfulness that he was willing to walk this road for us. He wasn't forced. He wasn't tricked. He chose it. In the final weeks of his life, we're spent teaching and trying to get people to understand this. Let's not miss it like they did. Let's embrace him this week. Let's worship him this week and get ready for a great Easter Sunday. Let's pray. God, thank you for our time together here. And thank you for your son's sacrifice for us and how carefully he carried out his mission. How much 
attention that he was giving to this whole process while he must have been feeling such tension and anxiety knowing what he was about to walk through. And as we enter into this season, help us to contemplate that, appreciate that, and worship your son Jesus for who he is. We pray these things in his powerful name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you call Valley Point Church home or would like to make a donation, please go to valleypointchurch.com slash online giving. If you're in need of prayer, we would love to serve you in that way. Send us a message at prayer at valleypointchurch.com. Be blessed.